Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody and welcome back for another episode of the Deep Dive podcast, the Emerald City Hockey Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Huge shout out to them, fabulous place to go watch Kraken games, both home and away. How was that for an intro, RJ? Pretty good. I I have a feeling you didn't just wing it this time. Uh, I actually did. I know I didn't look into the camera, but that was just so I could focus. But I was just staring at a blank wall behind it. (laughs) All right. Well, you could have fooled me. Yeah. Uh, Give it away. All my all my secrets of the trade. Um, I guess, you know, it's it's obviously presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Super thankful to them for supporting us all and everything. But we have another kind of announcement that could also help us out here at Emerald City Hockey. And that's because we just launched an awesome new merch offering this incredible Maddie for Calder t-shirt that if you're watching on YouTube right now, it's up on screen. It is unbelievable. We went out, found an awesome artist to get this one done for us. And RJ, I mean, when do we get our, our copies in? Did we, did we get like artist proof copies in like early or something? When, when do we get these? No, we have to order it from our store just like everybody else, but uh, they should be coming in pretty soon and you know, in the next 10 days. Uh, and of course, you know, we'll have some awesome uh, Maddie for Calder shirts to wear. And I mean, this was just a no brainer, right? Yeah. With the way that Maddie Beneers is playing his race for the Calder trophy had to get some shirts made. And I love this design. I'm glad we got it professionally made. Neither you or nor I could do something this cool. Uh, but yeah, you can find that on our store uh, and yeah, support Maddie for Calder. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be fun. We'll we'll be talking about Maddie a little bit later when we cover uh, the Kraken, who are on their second five game winning streak of the season. Like, is that is that for real? Um, so we're gonna we're gonna cover that, break down all the games that they had this past week, all that stuff in a little bit. But we got to start this podcast off, RJ, with Shane Wright. Uh, we, yes, you know, we ended, yeah. we ended last week talking about like, oh, this is the window anytime between the end of us recording that podcast. And like two days later was the window to potentially send him down for that 14 day conditioning stint in the AHL with the Coachella Valley Firebirds. And as is tradition with the deep dive shortly after we release that podcast, it happens <laughs> a matter of hours. I know. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, in the past, it's been a matter of minutes, so we <laughs> came out a little better that time. Um, but Shane Wright has now been playing with the Coachella Valley Firebirds. He's played in three games so far. And RJ, in those three games, he has scored four goals. I mean, like, there's a lot to break down when it comes to Shane Wright and how he's been playing at the AHL level. But, like, it certainly seems to be agreeing with him. Just, like, surface-level talk to start things off. Like, he looks great. Yeah, he absolutely does. I mean, four goals in three games. I, almost whatever else you're doing at that point, you're contributing if you're scoring four goals in three games. Uh, yeah, three games played, four goals, no assists, four points. And those four goals are on five shots on goal. Uh, so 80% shooting percentage, uh, just lighting up the AHL. I mean, the, his first shot on goal went in. It was a goal. Um, then he scores two goals in the next game. He's named first star of that game in Calgary. Uh, and then the Firebirds travel to San Diego to play the Gulls on the road. And of course, Shane Wright scores again in that third game on the power play. Two of his goals uh, of the four goals are on the power play. Um, So those are the surface level stats. Um, As far as, you know, ice time, things beyond that, um, those are not stats that the AHL really tracks. All we get are are goals, (laughs) assists, points, and shots on goal. And from there, you can do the math to make shooting percentage. Um, But I did, I was able to track every shift from his first game. So we know from his debut, he got around 13 minutes and 44 seconds of ice time. Uh, One shot on goal in that game, two hits, drew one penalty, and he was five for 15 on faceoffs. So that's a little window into at least that first game. I imagine that ice time figure went up uh, and some of the other smaller stats went up in the next few games as well. Yeah, it's weird to me that like faceoffs don't seem to be tracked. I've, I've got Shane Wright's AHL page pulled up here on my computer. And no idea what he's doing face-off wise. Like, what? Come on, AHL. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You'd think those would be, you know, easy enough to count. But I know they they've got a lot of things on their plate. Yeah. It's it's difficult. And as far as the ice time stat, I've heard that actually the teams and the the you know the the front offices don't want that tracked. Which, come on, man. Interesting. Interesting. That's kind of yeah. That's interesting. Um, looking at things. 
Uh, kind of incredible that in that second game he was named first star considering that was the one game in which he had a shot that didn't go in. So, you know, objectively speaking, his worst performance in the AHL. Uh, <laughs> he had two other goals, but, you know, he had that one shot that didn't go in. Um, he's just, he's been playing so well. He's so confident. And right away, like, it was less than a period into his AHL career uh, that he looked like he was confident and he wanted to go out there and be the best player on the ice. And in some ways he has been. Uh, I got to think that, you know, it just feels so good for him. You could see it on his face, the, the the big smiles that he's had after he scores these goals as he's celebrating. And I it's, you know, just on just for starters, like that's been so good to see after everything that he's gone through over summer with falling in the draft to then coming to Seattle, making the team, but not really getting ice time. And then in the games you do get in, you're only playing a couple minutes and um, just through all of that, the media pressure around that and, and social media, everything that's gone into it for him, uh, just to see him be able to go out there, play hockey, clearly he's having fun. And, and for him to look as confident as he does, I just over the moon to see that from him. Absolutely. And just to see that development in this five month saga that he's been through, you know, all from the draft to Seattle and everything uh, to be in a spot where it really feels like a good fit for him. And he's able to get that opportunity. I, I said last week when we were discussing, you know, would this happen? Would this not uh, that the AHL was the best situation for Shane Wright's development on paper? And I think through three games, we can pretty much confirm that that is, in fact, the case in practice. Right. And so it kind of it kind of begs the question, RJ, of and this was supposed to be my hot take after just watching the first game. <laughs> and then, of course, it goes out there and he keeps performing well. And that's, you know, is Shane Wright like too good for the AHL? in some ways. And it's a, it's kind of a loaded question. We can break it down. Obviously you scored a goal, a game, a clip for, for a couple games. It's still only a three game sample size. So it's not like, you know, he did this for like a whole season or something. Then you'd be like, yeah, he's definitely too good. <laughs> um, but he's, he looks confident. The goals that he's scoring are goals in which he's outskating his opponents. He's making good reads. He's able to exploit the defense. He's picking his shot completely and just beating these goaltenders clean. Like, like there's a reason he is shooting at an 80% clip. It's not like, oh, he's just been on like breakaways or he's picking up empty netters or something. Like, no, he's, he's just blowing it past these AHL level goaltenders. Um, so I guess let's let's kind of break in let's break this down and talk about this question of do do we think that Shane Wright is is kind of maybe more in between the NHL and AHL as far as like where he should belong not that there is a place like that <laughs> yeah, well, I think you could make the argument that that he is kind of in that in between space and really my answer to that question is he too good for the AHL. I guess I'd say yes and no. I, I think that if you look at the shooting talent, you look at the goals that he's scored and what he's able to do offensively. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of head and shoulders above some of these other players in, in that finishing perspective. And uh, you can tell that the talent is there that just isn't really abundant around the AHL, that he's, he's kind of destined for greater things. Um, but on the no side, I still think there are things to work on. You know, the physical play, learning how to win those battles when you're at a size and strength disadvantage like he is necessarily going to be that, by the way, because he's 18. Um, I think there are certain things like that technique wise that he can work on. Uh, I think you can always work on your positioning, your 200 foot game, even as good as Shane Wright is at that just naturally. He he knows to kind of play, you know, that 200 foot game to stay high, you know, as he's a good F3, right? When mm -hmm. when F1 and F2, the first two forwards are going in there on the four check, he naturally kind of stays high around the defenseman and, and you know, he's he's that's something that you kind of have to teach younger players usually to be good at but i think it's something that's just hardwired into him at this point um but I, I think there are still some things he can work on and that's why i think really the ahl is the perfect spot for him developmentally because that's what you want out of a young player you want to be able to work at those small things you know tweak the little aspects that you're going to need to to get better at to be in the nhl but also feel confident in your ability to score goals to produce offensively and i mean that's when we really see the best jumps from the ahl to the nhl are these players who are scoring at you know near a point per game pace um, and, and so their confidence is up, but they're also able to work on those smaller things in a league that's the second best of the world. 
Right. Um, there's there's a couple things. Like the first thing I noticed when watching him uh, at the AHL level was that he didn't look like Shane Wright to me. And he just stylistically looked like a different player. The places he wanted to be on the ice seemed a little bit different, much more aggressive offensively, much more driven around the idea of wanting to get quick breakouts, wanting to get up the ice quickly. Uh, I don't know how much of that is, you know, we know the Kraken really focus on that. So all the time he spent with the Kraken and doing all the drills with them, you know, they, they work on a lot of transition drills. So how much of that is the Kraken's game plan? How much of that is having a really experienced coach like a Dan Bilesma down there in Coachella Valley, who's going to be like, okay, I've got this guy for five games. I understand the situation with him. We just want him to be confident, to have fun playing hockey, all that kind of stuff. So let's just, you know, just focus on offense, kid. Go out there, try to score some goals, try to win with speed, prove why you were the guy that a lot of people thought was going to be the first overall pick in this last draft. And, and, you know, having a coach like that in your corner telling you those things and, and giving you that green light as a player, that means a lot. You know what I mean? Like that has to mean a lot to him. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, then we're obviously seeing uh, the, the very, very positive results from that. The thing that, that caught me most off guard when watching him in the AHL is that he's not, um, he's not defending in the same way that he did. And in some ways he's just not really defending much, at all uh you go back like if you watch uh if you pull up like one of the shift by shift videos of him with the Coachella Valley Firebirds and then you go back and you watch a shift by shift video of him with Kingston last year you're gonna see two totally different players in the defensive zone last year in Kingston he was you know he was very focused on defense he talked about you know trying to model his game after Patrice Bergeron he was playing very low covering the slot for for the front next making sure nobody could kind of walk down that avenue there uh he was helping net front try to clear guys out using his size uh there at the age at the ohl level and in the ahl he's he's kind of more um of a floater he's he's not really committing to one specific area of the ice and trying to defend that he's trying to kind of go around and wherever somebody starts to get bogged down in a board battle or something he's going to try to be that second guy in there for his team to try to hopefully help win that board battle or try to grab that loose puck again it's all built around getting up speed he's making sure that even if he does kind of pick one area of the ice he's staying moving he's kind of circling so that he's always got a little bit of momentum so if the firebergs hit the puck he can start booking it up the ice and and help out in that transition game and we've seen that a, a lot of you know a lot of these goals that he's scoring at the ahl level have been He's just fast. He's he's going through. He's splitting the defense. He's going around the defense. He's winning with speed, um, and so it's it's that has kind of struck me. Uh, there have been moments where there have been defensive plays to be made, and he hasn't picked up on them because he's kind of shifted what he's doing uh, defensively, and he's kind of focused on other things. That's something that I would like to see the two styles kind of blend together a little more seamlessly. Again, though, we're talking about a three-game sample size after everything that he's already been through. Like, you're not expecting something like that completely. And then the other thing, and we talked about maybe doing a, a YouTube short. I think you had that idea, and I think mm -hmm. it's a great idea. I'll try to get on that when I'm not jumping around all these games. Um, is his shot has changed. And so you and I were talking about this. His shot, we, we talked about it earlier in the season uh, after they drafted him and looking at things. He struggled with elevation uh, when it comes to elevating his shot. Uh, one of the things that I talked about back in my scouting video about him was that his shot is very much one in which he kind of pushes the puck. And there's like some, there's, there's a gap of separation. There's not constant contact with the puck when he goes to do his wrist shot. It kind of pulls back a little and then goes into the puck. And what you're seeing at the AHL level from him is a completely different shot. He's loading up. He's, he's bringing it, it back a little so he can put more of his body into his shot. That was a kind of a criticism I had uh, about him when it came to his shot when I was scouting him back in Kingston. Um, you're, you're seeing that aspect. The, his stick and the puck are maintaining you know, a point of contact all through his shooting motion until it finally, you know, gets there with the release. And I think that that's a big reason why you're seeing all of these shots just blow past these AHL goaltenders is he's getting his body into it. it his shot has more velocity. It's got more elevation. And then he's, he's kept the accuracy that he already had. And like this shot now looks so, so scary to me, RJ. 
Yeah, and it's something we saw a hint of in in dev camp, in training camp, uh, when you watched him shoot, especially from that spot that he likes. I mean, if you look at all his goals, all four goals are from essentially the same spot on the ice, that right face-off circle. He clearly feels comfortable picking his spot uh, from there. And that's actually the same spot on the ice that he beat Philip Grubauer from in that dev camp scrimmage where we were all just wow you know as the game winning goal uh you know this guy has has kind of arrived at, at least you know at the beginning of of that dev camp like uh this is kind of consistently what we've seen from him since getting to that next level and he's been working on it a lot at practice and and especially after practice when the scratches are on the ice just shooting that puck getting that release right and and kind of tweaking uh, that motion like you were talking about. Uh, and it's something that is going to be really dangerous if you can just get in a position to use it, you know, at higher levels. Yeah, it's going to be uh, really good. And, you know, if you go back and you watch the, the, the tapes and the highlights from Kingston, he likes that spot. He likes shooting from that, you know, kind of being on the right side of the goaltender from his perspective. Uh, he likes that a lot, uh, which is interesting considering he likes to enter the zone on the left side. So you kind of get an idea of what kind of player he is uh, if you just know those two things about him. One thing, though, that I do want to talk about, because, uh, you know, you brought it up. A lot of other people have brought up the idea of, you know, playing in the AHL will help him out when it comes to the the more physical side of the game and all of that kind of stuff and obviously as an 18 year old he is still developing but one of the things i've noticed when watching these ahl games is that he's actually bigger than a lot of guys at the ahl level and so <laughs> i was looking at the coachella valley roster here he's weight wise only he's lighter than only three other forwards on this coachella valley team He's the fourth hmm. heaviest guy on this team. And he's he's got that on a six-foot frame. Um, and, you know, the guys that are heavier than him are guys like John Hayden, right? Like, like yeah. they're like <laughs> these giant guys that are out there to, to play a super, super physical game. Uh, obviously, this could be, like, tweaked a little just based off of, you know, whatever the height and weight stuff is. We know teams and players can sometimes play funny tricks when it comes to uh, listed stats, when it comes to that kind of thing. But... I do think that that that's worth noting is that, you know, the team right now is listing him at six foot 198 and you and I've been around him, uh, you know, not in pads and stuff like he's 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 kind of thick, like he's got broad shoulders like he I think there is some weight and muscle there. And so um, when I watch him at the AHL level, his skating is so good and he's so fast and he's he's got skills that, you know, make him one of the top, you know, prospects right out there. I don't know that he's going to really need to learn too much physically, you know, at the AHL level because he's just out skating everybody. Yeah, exactly. And he plays the type of game where you don't need to win physically. But when you get to the NHL level, it's just something that you do have to contend with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you want to be in a position to work on it. And it's something that it's just a real shame. I, I wish the AHL coaching staff had more time to really focus in and hone in on these kind of things. I know that that coaches like you know Dan Bilesma, Jessica Campbell, they would love to work with him on, on the little bits of his game that you would get if he could spend longer in Coachella Valley with this AHL team. Unfortunately, you only get five games. And I think the coaching staff, their priorities are in order. You know, get just go play, play some offense, get your mojo back. That's what's most important. But I just, you know, it's it's disappointing thinking of of what could be if he yeah. was allowed to stay there longer. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think it would certainly do uh, do good for him. Um, just to finish things up on the physical side, I did feel like those last couple times we saw him at the NHL level, he had gotten better. He was learning the lesson all young players at the NHL level learn, which is, yeah, you know what? You really got to bend your knees. If you're going to be initiating contact or taking contact, you got to bend your knees and you got to be able to, to, to take that that way. That's how you're going to be able to stabilize uh, yourself. Um, but that's where that's where Shane Wright's at. Uh, he's killing it at the AHL level. He looks fantastic. Seeing you know improvements, seeing changes in the style of game. I think all that work that he's been doing with the awesome Kraken coaching staff uh, has just been really really awesome. And and uh, we're seeing that development from him, which is nice because you know it's just been it's been hard not being able to see him as much as we all want to. Uh, but we're getting to see him now, and he looks fantastic. Uh, all right, so let's transition over into like quick hits, and then we'll get into uh, the Kraken's latest five-game win streak. <laughs> RJ, really excited for that. Uh, what what do you have for us first here? 
All right. So first of the quick hits, and this kind of relates to Shane Wright a little bit, uh, is Morgan Geeky. So unfortunately, in the Kraken's last game, uh, Morgan Geeky did exit the game with an upper body injury, and it was kind of pretty clear to anyone watching what that upper body injury had been. So this was one of the more odd, friendly fire incidents that yeah. I've seen in recent memory. Morgan Geeky was circling around behind the Kraken net as, as the Kraken were kind of regrouping in their own zone. And Adam Larson was going the other way. And the two of them crossed paths. And Geeky ended up taking a Larson elbow slash shoulder right to the head. Geeky went down immediately. And uh, he kind of stumbled off the ice. Didn't look that great. Uh, and, you know, obviously you're worried about maybe something like a concussion uh, with that. But he didn't return to the game. I mean, hopefully that's just, uh, you know, being cautious with a potential head injury like that. Uh, you never want to rush a player back from that. But we don't have an official injury update yet. Uh, the game happened last night. And as is common with this sort of thing, you don't get an update until the next uh, morning skates. We probably won't have anything uh, until tomorrow morning. Yeah, it was just a, such a weird play. Like I still like don't totally know what happens. Like I don't know. Cause like Larson kind of makes a motion there. Like, I don't know if he just got surprised and, and assumed it was a duck or something. Um, but really, really uh, strange, slightly, you know, obviously concerning for Morgan geeky, seeing him down like that on the ice. Um, yeah. Just, just hope he's okay. Gotta, gotta, you know, yeah. Your, your worry is that there's a concussion Um I guess, you know, if you, if you want to be optimistic, then he was probably just held out because of concussion protocol. Uh, but there's always the chance that he could clear that and be ready to go for the next game against the Kings. Yep. So the geeky inj uh, injury does raise a few questions that yes. we fielded on post game last night as far as how long is he out? And and then if so, what does that mean potentially for a Shane Wright? I guess we'll, we'll cover the first question that we got on that is that mm -hmm. do you bring Shane Wright back early do you recall him from this conditioning loan early if morgan geeky has to miss time so we just kind of asked the question is shane wright too good for the ahl <laughs> should he be getting nhl minutes i mean, do what say you if geeky is out would you bring back shane wright early uh i understand the the want to do that i understand that we you know what we were just saying about him at the ahl level however i got to I got to do, I got to say what I think the Kraken are going to do, which is look, you've had this plan and you stick to the plan. You don't let something like this throw you from the plan. You have good options available to you um, with healthy scratches, you know, just on the team already. Uh, this is one of the, the benefits of having some of the players that you have, right? That you have depth, you have depth down the middle. Uh, you can, you know, you can make McCann a, a center again if you need to for a game or two. Um, you've got guys like Carson Kuhlman who can rotate back into the lineup. Like you can, if it's only going to be a game or two absence, uh, you can, you can handle that uh, just fine at the NHL level. And you can let Shane get the full five games down with Coachella Valley. Uh, you know, just let that confidence grow, let that, you know, excitement and happiness, all that stuff continue. I don't see the need to rock that boat. And then, you know, if the plan is from there uh, to just have him go off to, to Canada camp, you can just kind of do that all kind of seamlessly rather than throwing this other little wrench in there. I know a lot of people want him for the Montreal game coming up too, <laughs> um, but it, it might be a lot to just be like, okay, you, you know, Coachella now you're back here and then you're off to, to world juniors you know what I mean like it could be a lot just because of the media and the hype and everything that goes on around Shane Wright right now it might just be better just to keep things according to the plan that you've you know already like kind of laid out for yourselves and for him yeah those are my thoughts exactly I'm although count me firmly in the camp that that Shane Wright benefits the most from playing in the NA, in AHL yeah. sorry yeah. Uh, and that even if he is you know too good for the AHL it, even at that point, I think it still benefits him to play there as long as possible. And in that case, this would be the five games. So I wouldn't deviate from that at all. Um, and like you said, the Kraken have more than enough forward depth to, to deal with the loss of Morgan Geeky. Uh, agreed. So uh, obviously want to, you know, wish Morgan Geeky well. I uh, want to see him get back to back out there because, you know, he's been playing well. That fourth line for the Kraken has been played really, really well. He has. I mean, this has been a breakout season for Morgan Geeky. This is exactly kind of what he needed to reach that next step in his career. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the injury might throw a wrench in that, but hopefully he's able to get back on the ice really soon. Agreed. Uh, all right. What, what we got next? Uh, so next we have uh, 
another bit of well, I, I not as unfortunate as the geeky news, but still some sad news for for many Kraken fans, and that is uh, Magnus Helberg. We knew this this might be coming. Uh, last week he was placed on waivers and he was claimed by the Detroit Red Wings, so he is off to Detroit. Uh, yet another destination. He's already been to Detroit before, but yet another destination uh, in his kind of long winding NHL career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we knew the Kraken couldn't keep three goalies on the roster forever. We knew that once Philip Grubauer got healthy, Magnus Helberg would have to be waived uh, and the Red Wings pick him up. So unfortunately for the Kraken, um, you know, but but maybe fortunately for Magnus Helberg getting another shot at the NHL level. Um, I remember last season when we talked to Austin Zarnick after he had been claimed by the Kraken off waivers, if you remember that name. Uh, but we asked him when you're in a situation like that as a player, when you're put on waivers, do you want to be claimed? Is that what you're hoping for? And he said, absolutely. You always want to stay at the NHL level. You want to be able to prove you belong there. Uh, and you want to go to a team that, that has room for you. So I, I think about that, you know, when I get disappointed about Magnus Helberg, not really being around anymore. Um, but I, I do want to say, you know, he's a joy to have around for, for the time that he was here. I mean, just one of the nicest, friendliest players on the team always took the time to chat, you know, with the media um, and I think back to the last practice, it might practice or morning skate, one of those two that he was with the crack. And basically the last time that we saw him around, uh, he stayed out late uh, with the scratches. So, yeah, it was a morning skate and the fans were cheering for every single save that he made. And he was going over and waving to them, he even found a little kid in goalie gear uh, and was and was waving over to him and everything. And so when he came off the ice, I said, hey, Magnus, the, the fans really love you. And he's like, yeah, no, the 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 kid was um, the, the kid that he had said hi to in the goalie gear. He's like, you know, he was crying. He thought that I had just left him. So I had to go back over there and say hi. Like, no, I'm still here. Um, you could tell there was really that connection between him and the fans. And, and he just loved it. And they loved him. Yeah, he's an awesome, awesome guy. Awesome player to have around. And, uh, you know, who knows? This, this might not be, be it for him with the Kraken. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to say. We've seen this play out before. I don't want to say goodbye for sure, because I, I don't think you can ever confidently say that Magnus Helberg will never be on waivers again. So there might yeah. be another chance for the Kraken to pick him back up. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but obviously wish him well as well. Uh, at least, you know, up until we have to play against him. Then. You know, he could have a bad game for those games, <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, all right. And then uh, one last, like, exciting quick hit here to talk about. Yes. So I, I think this is this is the best news of all the quick hits that we're going to cover here. Uh, and that is Seattle has just set a very big hockey record. Um, and that uh, came at the USA versus Canada women's rivalry series game last week. And... The, the record is the largest ever U.S. crowd for a women's hockey game. 14,551 in attendance for that game. And it sure felt like that, too. The very, very top sections, you know, didn't have like the seats. I don't know if those tickets were even being sold, but everywhere in the lower bowl, everywhere in the 200s, everywhere, it was just packed. I was lucky enough to be at that game, uh, got some nice seats on the glass uh, for me and my girlfriend to go. It was a great experience. I mean, everybody who went, um, I'm sure had a great time and it's the best bang for your buck you could possibly get mm -hmm. for a hockey game. I mentioned this uh, before the game. I said, if you are thinking about it at all, get tickets, you need to go to this game. Uh, and everyone was rewarded with with an awesome game. Hillary Knight with a couple goals, uh, USA pulling out the win in that one. But most importantly, Seattle showing that they're a great market, uh, not just for hockey, but for women's hockey. Um, and to see that excitement uh, for that kind of game was just awesome. I know I had been you know, rooting for something like that ever since they announced that, that rivalry series game was coming to Seattle and Seattle pulled through. They, they came out and uh, they provided a great atmosphere for that one. Yeah, no, Seattle has proven that they are a hockey town. Uh, you know, this is a, a place where in the larger Seattle area or just even, you know, expanding it out to Washington State, right? You've got four WHL teams who have been there and been supported for a while. That's, that's you know, not nothing. Trust me, that is definitely not nothing. Um, and then obviously we know the response with the Kraken and how into it everybody has been. And then, um, you know, women's hockey has been certainly on the rise everywhere, but you just had this sense even before this was ever even announced, I mean, you know, you and I just know from from talking with the people in this community 
uh, how much everybody really likes to follow women's hockey, follow the Olympics, follow all those bigger tournaments. So when this was announced, you know, you knew it was going to be a big deal and you knew people were going to show up for it. And then um, they definitely did in record numbers. You can say that. And uh, it, just really, really happy, really, really uh, excited for just every everything involved right happy for all the women playing the game that they were able to play in such in front of such a large audience and get that show of support for them happy for seattle to showcase like hey we might be new to the nhl but we are not new to hockey and we are here for hockey in all shapes and forms uh, i think that's you know it was a good moment for seattle and the seattle hockey community as a whole to just kind of you know showcase that on an international stage uh i think that was a big deal and then you know take note like leagues and everybody and sports uh if you make things like affordable so that people can like go and take families to it because we know a lot of people who took their whole family to this um oh, yeah. people people will show up and that's how you build that next generation of fans uh it's really hard to build uh relationships uh you know for, for children with their team and everything when they can only watch on TV. It's not the same. Uh, you know, talk to most sporting, you know, fans, uh, the moments that really made them fall in love with sport, fall in love with their team, fall in love with the players is when they went to that game with their parents or with, you know, their friend or whoever. Um, that's, that's a big, big deal. And so uh, having these tickets be readily available and affordable, I think also helped a lot because it meant, that a lot of people that would want to go to some of these things were really able to actually go. And when you make it so that people can actually go, they show up and they support and they're loud and they love it. And it's awesome. Yeah, they absolutely do. And we saw it with like the Kraken Skills Showcase last year. Yep. Uh, we saw it with this game. When, when you make things accessible uh, to lots of people, they show up and create a great atmosphere and it just makes fans for life. And I, I, can guarantee you there were plenty of you know fans made for life at this game um and especially seeing you know some of the the young girls but you you know maybe play girls hockey or um you know that were up at the glass for warm-ups you know watching some of these you know best athletes in the sport uh you know take the ice and just i remember the the look of awe in their eyes and thinking back to when i was a kid and just you know feeling the same way when i would go to games uh it was great to see and and great to like also enjoy this one as a fan I, I made the choice not to do the whole media thing for for that game and just enjoy it as a fan. And uh, I'm so glad I did. Uh, I was, you know, just kind of I was able to get back into that mindset of, oh, yeah, I can cheer again. Uh, you know, I can I can get a little starstruck when I see, you know, Kendall Coyne Schofield and, you know, and Alex Carpenter just right there in front of me warming up. I'm like, wow, these are you know some of the best players in the world. And um, I was just, you know, it was great to be back in that mindset just for a day. Yeah, how, how quickly, you know, we realized like, oh, yeah, this has really just been work for us now. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was phenomenal. And I really hope that they do this again. Like, I really hope that yeah. they do another uh, series like this between these two teams. And, you know, obviously want them to come back to Seattle, but also want them to go to just some more U.S. markets as well. Like, I think that that's something that would translate to a lot of markets and, and a lot of people would love to see. And I, I want to, you know, I want people to be able to experience that and have the opportunity to go to games like this. I think it's a it's a really big deal for them. And I think it's uh, really big for the, the women's side of the sport. And maybe one day. Hopefully one day women's pro hockey yep. in Seattle. I would love to see it. I know there's already a grassroots movement trying to get that to happen, but it just makes so much sense. We know how great a hockey town Seattle yep. is, and we know how great of a, a women's sports town Seattle is with the storm and the rain, yep. uh, you know, all the support there is there. I, I think it would be perfect. If you could just sort out the travel issues, that's the only thing. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's the only problem is the travel issue. So it might take a little while just because of that. Get the, you know, the overall like league infrastructure stuff built built out more around it. But that's that's the only thing holding it back. I got to think, you know, Seattle would be like top. It was certainly after this. I think it probably was beforehand anyway. But certainly after seeing this, Seattle's got to be top of the list for, for any sort of further expansions uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, just a, just a really nice, fun story to talk about and, and to see. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right. So transitioning over to the Kraken, RJ Kraken have won five in a row teams, you know, seemingly firing on all cylinders, pick up a massive win over the Vegas golden Knights. Another big, uh, you know, game for them. There could have, you know, large divisional consequences later on in the season. Who knows? 
Um, but this this Kraken team, RJ, just in the last little bit here, they're just playing so well. I know we've said it you know multiple times throughout <laughs> the course of this year, but they're just playing really, really well, and everything seems to be working. Uh, whether it's the depth of scoring, whether it's the goaltending, whether it's the mid-game adjustments from the coaching staff and stuff, like everything's just rolling right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Kraken, they haven't lost since we last recorded an episode of the Deep Dive. They haven't lost by more than one goal since October 17th. That's over a month. That's that's about five weeks since they've you know really lost a game you know where they weren't in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 10-1-1 one one in their last 12. Like you said, this is a team firing on all cylinders. Uh, they are just rolling through their schedule and amassing points. And that's the biggest part is that even in games like the last one we saw against the Ducks where they're maybe not playing at their best for a full 60 minutes they're able to get the two points and that's huge because that separates the teams that climb to the top of the standings from those who are maybe stuck right on that playoff bubble or worse um and that's going to be huge for the kraken going forward the stretch of play yeah and just to kind of give an overview before we got you know dive more into the games uh kraken right now sitting at 29 points that's four back of vegas but the but the kraken have two games in hand um, and then you're two points ahead of the Kings, uh, who are third in the division, but you have three games in hand on the Kings. So Kraken are really in a nice, nice spot. And then as far as fourth in the division, Edmonton, you got seven points on them right now. So Kraken are in a really, really good spot when it comes to the, the, the division and the overall outlook for the rest of the season. And then, you know, still one of two teams in your division, one of five teams overall in the entire Western Conference with a positive goal differential. It's a big deal, especially this year out here in the West. That's That could be the thing that, you know, really helps you out. Uh, if you start, you know, going through any sort of skid, you can fall back on that. And the fact that, you know, look, most nights, this team just going to outscore the other team. And at the end of the day, RJ, that's just how you win games. <laughs> yep, it sure is. And and even being close is how you collect points. And that's the yep. real name of the game. And um, to, to be in basically every game for the last five weeks or so, uh, I mean, that is how you climb up the standings. Yeah. And uh, the Kraken 75 goals uh, on the season too. Like that is not something that I thought we'd be talking about. You know what I mean? Like they are scoring. They've got that depth of scoring. It's really, really cool to see. Uh, I want to talk about Matty Beniers real quick because, you know, in these last, in this last week or so, he's really gotten going. Um, he's scored nine points in their last five games really in their last four games, he has nine points, which is incredible for Matty Beniers. Uh, and it's, and it's really helped, you know, shoot him kind of to that top of that Calder watch, uh, as you know, just mentioned the Matty for Calder shirts one more time. Uh, <laughs> just throw <laughs> that one out there, but it means that half of Matty Beniers's points so far this season have come in the last four games. Like this dude is on fire right now. And I don't see why it would stop anytime soon. Right. I mean, we've seen the way that he's been playing, I mean, just collecting points in these last few games. Um, and, and he's really kind of hit his stride. We were wondering when or if Matty Beniers might hit that little like that wall, basically, that these second year players tend to hit. Uh, and it seems like he had a stretch, basically, where it looked like he had kind of hit that wall, at least from a, a point scoring perspective. But he seems to have just busted right through the wall. and He's just keeping going now. Maybe later in the season, there will there will be some kind of fatigue factor. Uh, but we're certainly not seeing it right now. Exactly. It's just it's oh, it's such a joy to watch when he's out there and he's he's playing uh, the way he's been playing. Um, looking at this past week, the the game by game breakdown, um, start off with the game, the home game against the Sharks. Uh, finished 8-5 in favor of the Kraken, which still feels weird to say out loud. Um, this was this was one where, you know, they had a couple days off beforehand, try to work on stuff. And really the theme of this week has been the Kraken winning in different ways. Uh, you know, we've been talking for a long time about the, the shutdown defense, the excellent goaltending, all of that kind of stuff. Um, this past week has really just been, you know what, we're just going to light it up and we're going to outscore any problems we have. And uh, that really was the yep. case in this in this San Jose game. I mean, that's they had to outscore any any given problem that they had uh, because, I mean, the, the Kraken, you know, allowed a lot defensively. I mean, Timo Meyer got a hat trick. There were miscues there. Um, but this game really showcased Seattle's scoring punch that they can bring. Um, and right back to Matty Beniers, like that, that amazing player where he comes into the zone two on five 
with Vince Dunn and manages to to find Vince Dunn right on the tape through four Sharks defenders. Um, I mean, that was huge. Jamie Alexiak turning to the lineup and scoring a goal. Uh, the the goal scoring that he's provided this season, I don't think anybody saw coming. Um, you know, seeing that scoring come from so many different areas um, has been huge. Oliver Bjorkstrand getting off the schneid and, and getting one in that game. It felt like every player was contributing in some way offensively. Yeah, it, it really was. It was it was kind of a, a fun game to watch in some ways. The, the defensive mind of mine was just dying inside watching both of these teams during different stretches. It was just like, <laughs> ah, somebody do something. Uh, but when you just look at the score sheet for, for the Seattle Kraken and, you know, everybody but two of your forwards picks up points, uh, all but two of your defensemen pick up points, like, that's just a fun score sheet to look out at the box score after a game. Like, you're just like, wow, this, this, you know, lots of stuff were going on here. Uh, obviously Matty Beniers, we just talked about, he had three points in this one was a plus four tied with Adam Larson, uh, for second on the team behind Vince Dunn's plus five. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was, there was definitely some highlights out there, um, amongst everything beyond just the like obvious highlights of, of who was doing doing what um but it was it was overall it was an interesting game but it was one where it was just nice to see that look this sharks team was putting up a challenge they were not gonna you know roll over they were not gonna be a bad team this sharks team has caught a lot of teams off guard it feels like throughout the course of this year and we didn't want to be one of them and at the end of the day we weren't and that's that's really really nice in spite of the fact that you know you give up five goals to to a team that's you know struggling at times offensively doesn't have a ton of depth all that kind of stuff but uh like i said it doesn't matter when you have the offense that the kraken have right and and one thing i really like to see in this one and we'll, we'll kind of see it uh when we talk about the ducks game as well because i think a couple themes emerged here one playing down to an inferior opponent mm -hmm. at least to start the game yeah and i think that was a real issue against san jose reared its head again against An again against anaheim but the second theme and this is kind of the saving grace with the whole playing down to your opponent is eventually realizing, okay, we're doing this in the middle of the game, not after the game, but in the middle of the game, when changes can still be made, realizing that you're playing down to your opponent, realizing what the problem is. And in this case, it was lack of discipline. It was taking too many penalties. It was basically playing best on best against the sharks because the sharks have three players that account for more than half of their team's goals. Mm -hmm. Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, and Eric Carlson. And if you basically play, let those guys play in high leverage situations, like power plays, like four on four, uh, situations like that, they're going to beat you because they're just so good. They're good enough to carry an entire team. But if you stay out of the box, if you roll four lines, and if you make it a depth versus depth matchup, the Sharks cannot compete. The Kraken have the best, arguably the best forward depth in the NHL, the Sharks, I mean, you can make an argument, they have the worst. Mm -hmm. And so you realize what kind of game you need to play. And so at a certain point in that game, the Kraken made that adjustment and uh, it paid off. Yeah, it, it a thousand percent did. And I do wonder almost if they were maybe too focused on trying to shut down Eric Carlson in this one. Obviously, he's been a big story around the NHL. Um, and you could tell that they were trying to play him tough, uh, and they were, and they largely kept him off the scoring sheet. I mean, the Sharks had five goals. He only ended up with one assist. Like, the the way he's been playing, that's like a big win. But you almost wonder if that came at the expense of, you know, trying to slow him down, and then all of a sudden you see Timo Meyer breaking away a bunch uh, on you. You forgot, like, oh, well, they do have other guys, I guess. Um yeah, it, it was just one of those, like, you know, and you, you said it, right? Kind of maybe playing down to, to your opponent. I would I don't know that I would have said that about this game had we not just seen the, the Ducks game uh, last night mm -hmm. uh, because it felt like, you know, like I, like I said, coming into this game, it was like, look, this Sharks team, they were on a win streak at that point, this Sharks team. Like, they were catching a lot of teams off guard. A lot of teams were writing them off, and they were proving that, you know, this is the NHL. You can't write off anybody, and you certainly can't write off us right now, uh, the way we're playing. And and um, I don't think that the Kraken did. I just think that this Sharks team can be sneaky good if you give them what they want, right? Mm -hmm. And what they want is to try to be fast in transition. They want good matchups with their top line. And so um, there was there was obviously some times in which the Kraken kind of fed into that a little bit, and, and we saw the result. But by and large, Kraken just – they – they 
you know, put their foot in the ground, skate in the ice, whatever it is you want to say. And they said in this, <laughs> they said in this third period, we're not losing this one. Like we're just not. And uh, that all starts with the Oliver Bjorkstrand goal right after the Sharks tied a minute into the third period at four, four Bjorkstrand comes back out. He gets that second goal of the season, gets that monkey off his back. And he's like, no, we're going to, we're going to go from here. And then, um, you know, 59 seconds later, Jaden Schwartz scores another one. And it's like, look, we are not going to lose this game. Uh, we've made that decision. And you, you see the Kraken play there, play that way, the rest of it. And uh, it's, it's just really nice to know that this team has that capability and they have the, the leadership, the confidence and the skill to make stuff like that happen on nights like this, where, you know, this, this plucky little team is just hanging around a little bit too long. Yep. To be able to put them away is huge. and just something the Kraken did not have last season. (laughs) Definitely. Um, Okay. So then we had the, the big, big, big time matchup against Vegas, a game that we'd been, you know, circling on all of our calendars for a long, long time Uh, going into Vegas and, you know, not going to bury the lead at all with this one. The Kraken pick up the massive 4-2 win. First ever win against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, you do it in their building. And to be honest, you play, you outplay them. You kept them from doing what they want to do. You kept them from attacking in transition. Uh, the game plan was absolutely solid in what was needed. And outside of a 10-minute stretch at the end of the first period, Kraken were the better team all the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Kraken came out to a really hot start. I mean, got a, a 2 nothing lead early. Uh, Vegas' goalie Aiden Hill looking a little shaky in the process, uh, and the Kraken were all over that. Then that 10-minute that stretch where they did look pretty bad, uh, you know, some bad penalty killing and some just rather soft defense allowing uh, some Golden Knights players to get into the slot unbothered. And that's the kind of thing that last season we would have seen probably just destroy the Kraken, you know, at least mentally. And that would be it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that uh, that was our mindset. Like, okay, that's it. We're tied here. Um, but the Kraken rebounded. They came out for the second period strong. Whatever was said in the first intermission worked to get them back on their game. Uh, Andre Burakovsky with a couple huge goals in this one, just beating Aiden Hill clean. I mean, this is shooting talent that we talked about after the game, the kind of thing the Kraken didn't have last year that Burakovsky has certainly brought to the team. Uh, And ones that Aiden Hill, I think, was, you know, a little bit bothered by. I think the Kraken kind of got into the opposing goalie's head that night. Um, And then, of course, Jordan Eberle capping it off with a, a beautiful individual effort, just skating through the entire Golden Knights defense and putting home his own rebound uh, to give the Kraken a 4-2 lead. And uh, Seattle was able to hang on from there. Yeah, I mean, they shut it down uh, all through that second period, all through the third period. Uh, Philip Grubauer looking good, making some big-time saves in his return back on his 31st birthday. So shout-out to to Philip Grubauer and him coming back. Definitely want to mention that one. Um it was just, you know, this was what I think a lot of us wanted to see. And I think it shows, and this is something I'll also bring up when we talk about the Ducks game next, um, just how far this team has come, not just year to year, but really, you know, from the first two weeks of the season to now. Uh, those first two weeks of the season, I really feel like the team was still figuring out who they were, who was going to play where, all the team chemistry issues, right? You have lots of... You know, new additions, particularly offensively, um, figuring out how things are going to shake out. You know, defensively with you know bringing in a, a Schultz and 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 losing a Hayden Flurry, uh, all of that stuff. Figuring out the the goaltending and what the split was going to be between Grubauer and Jones. Like there was a lot that was just um, in flux a little bit at the beginning of a season, which any team that's going through kind of such large change is going to have. Um, but really, since that St. Louis game. Like way back when, uh, if you can remember back that far, uh, I've just felt like this team has played as such a unit. And even when, you know, the lines get shuffled around a little, no matter who's been in net, um, you just feel like the, the team all understands what they're doing. You, they, they obviously have an offensive structure that's working very well for them. They have that four check we've been talking about. Um, 
They've, they've all been able to, you know, understand what their role is on the ice, regardless of what line they're on and, and keeping things rolling there, having that depth of scoring that we've been talking about. The coaching staff has been making excellent in-game adjustments. That's the other thing, right? We've been saying this post-game live after post-game live, right? Like, <laughs> oh, there was this rough period or this rough stretch. And then the next period, like that was it, that, like that, that weakness was, you know, uh, done away with. And, um, that's that's been another thing that I feel like has has been part of that because it's not just like the 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 players working as a unit and working as a team and being that that solid on the, all on the same page grouping. It's also the coaching staff being right there with the players and that communication between the two, the the level of trust between the two and all of that. And um, you you in both this Vegas game and in the Anaheim game, you really see that difference from the beginning of the year when everybody was still feeling everybody out to now where everyone's been through uh, enough of the season to, to kind of feel where everybody is and, and understand what everybody wants and expects of each other and how to communicate with each other and all of that good stuff. So um, uh, that, that was all very, very exciting. And then, yeah, you know, you had some defensive issues in that first period, mostly just, you know, guard the front of the net. <laughs> like like, mm-hmm. like it, it, it was, it was almost like flashbacks to the early part of the season or that, that, that first game against Vegas where you're just like, uh, uh, somebody be there. But the bottom line was they, they took care of that. They, they survived and got out of that first period. And then the adjustments were made. And like I said, shut it down the rest of the way. And, uh, one more time, just want to shout out Philip Grubauer looking excellent in his return to action. Yeah, and a huge game for his confidence, I'm sure, coming back in the lineup after after almost a month uh, missing from injury and, and able to look good and look solid, especially in the final two periods, just shutting it down. Uh, it, good for him. And then um, you mentioned the defensive mistakes. It's the same kind of basic defensive mistakes usually that we saw last season. The difference is they're nipping it in the bud right away. Yeah. Somebody on the coaching staff is identifying, okay, look, here's what's going wrong. It's a, it's a very fixable thing. And we even said this as far as back as last season. It's very fixable. Mm-hmm. You just have to go in and, and get the players in the right mindset and, and fix the issue. Um, and I don't know whether that's like Dave Lowry's addition to the coaching staff or whether it's, um, you know, the, the assistants or Hackstall just, you know, kind of being more attentive and on it right away. But they're being fixed, uh, you know, not just in practices in between games, but in game mm-hmm. they're being fixed. And that is huge. Right. And the other thing is it's, you know, you're seeing those defensive adjustments, offensive adjustments, all that stuff being fixed in game. You're also seeing, you know, discipline things fixed in game, right? Like this one, this could have gotten off the rails um, from a from a penalty standpoint. It's a big time divisional matchup against this team who's, who's had your number, your entire existence. This team has had your number, <laughs> right? Uh, it would be very and and you know, let's not let's not kid around. Like this Golden Knights team has guys that know how to get under people's skin. And they know how to how oh, to yeah. play in ways that are going to draw penalties and get the refs on their side, maybe a little bit. And uh, the Kraken didn't fall for it, and that's something that that takes continual messaging to do, right? To to <laughs> to kind of always keep people on that line of like, hey, we got to play hard, but we're not going to give them anything. We're not gonna we're not gonna do anything that's gonna cause them to have a power play. Uh, certainly not after that first one that they converted. And so I want to shout out everybody involved in what it takes to do that. Cause that's, you know, that's leadership from the coaching staff. That's also leadership on the ice and like everybody communicating and really being a, a group effort and working together there um, to make sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, as far as, you know, this Vegas team, you shut down their transition game, which the, the Kraken did an excellent job of doing in this one. They really made sure that they were focused on that. Um, don't don't let those forwards get any speed. Make sure if you're in the Vegas zone, keep the puck low. Force those wingers to play down. Don't don't get don't put them in a situation where they can start attacking up the ice with speed. You'll always have defenders back, kind of thing. If if they have to if when they start their offensive push there. Uh, I really liked that that it um uh, game plan from the crack and I thought it worked really really well and then what we saw was if you take that away from this Vegas team I don't know what they have and they don't seem they don't know to what know to what do. they have <laughs> exactly they don't know what to do uh they, there's nothing else they can really hit you with and we saw that especially in the third period of this game and late in the third period too where they just couldn't get the puck even into the Kraken zone to pull their goalie. Um, they had no answers for what the Kraken were doing defensively. If you don't feed their transition game, they, they don't have anything else. Uh, and the Kraken also, I want to say how smart they were with the puck. 
uh, in the offensive zone, not throwing it to areas where the Golden Knights could go grab it and, and bring it back the other way. And you saw how glaring a difference it was because in that 10 minute stretch at the end of the first, they were doing that. They were feeding the Golden Knights transition and it and it looked very bad on the Kraken's part. Um, but they took care of it right away. And yeah, Vegas just didn't have an answer. They looked they looked beatable. I remember after the game, you said, I think the Kraken may have potentially inadvertently provided this blueprint for how to beat the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. And you know, maybe Vancouver, I didn't watch the Vancouver Vegas game, but I know (laughs) Vancouver played them very well and they got that W over them. So, uh, it is, it is possible. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a fantastic game. It was, you know, a total group effort from everybody liked, liked even the stuff they were doing in the offensive zone. You know, you mentioned getting in Aiden Hill's head, that very first goal, just a couple minutes into the game, two and a half minutes into the game, you got Ryan Donato left all alone in front of Aiden Hill right there to bang home a rebound. Like as a goaltender that fast into a game, how does that not get you going? How does that not make you go to your defense? Like, come on guys, like, you know, you're going to do something here. Like, like help me out. Um, and so I just think that they were able to set that pace, get Burakovsky to, to follow up with the goal there. It was all just really, really solid and good stuff from them. And uh, Jamie Alexiak had a fantastic game in this one too, especially offensively trying to make things happen. And, uh, you know, that second Andre Burakovsky goal, it was a sweet snipe from, from Burakovsky, but that whole sequence was really set up by Jamie Alexiak skating up the ice, following through with skating up the ice, taking the time and space that Vegas was giving him. He goes all the way down to the, basically the goal line in the offensive zone, still, you know, not seeing what he wants, but there, no one's pressuring him. So he turns around, starts coming back up a little bit, and then he's able to see, uh, Burakovsky get open and make that pass over to him. It's just a fantastic play and, and, uh, really happy to see, uh, him be involved in that way and, and showcase the, the playmaking skills from the big man. <laughs> oh yeah. We, we know he has that in his tool bag. Yeah, for sure. So massive win there from, from them. They, they really earned it. It was a fantastic game. One of the best games the Kraken have played all season long, just as far as, you know, group effort, focusing on all the things, uh, making those adjustments when they needed to. It was it was a really, really solid game. And then last night, RJ, go to Anaheim. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it again. The differences between opening night in Anaheim and now, uh, just everybody seems more confident and sure of each other. They seem more like a unit. You're getting those mid-game adjustments. And that really ends up, I feel like, making the difference in this one so that history doesn't repeat itself and you don't give away a second game in Anaheim to a, <laughs> a, a pretty reeling Ducks team. You're able to just take care of business in regulation in this one and walk out of there with two, two points clean. Yeah, it, it was it was a close call for a little bit in the second period. Uh, some definitely some flashes of that first uh, season opening game in Anaheim. Um, but ultimately, this is what I was talking about as far as, you know, maybe playing down to an inferior opponent there, but then finally making the adjustments at a certain point. And at this point, it was the second intermission yep. where, you know, the, the Kraken finally made the adjustments they did to bake in the second intermission. They gave up very little defensively in the third period. Uh, and they just kept the pressure on the Ducks so much that I, I don't think they were able to pull their goalie until, you know, maybe 40 something seconds yeah, to go in the game. I mean, that is how you close out a hockey game, and especially one uh, where it was so high score. It was four to four going into the third at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were able to just shut it down. Like, okay, once you get the, the go ahead goal, you know, no more offense, you know, for the ducks. Um, you know, and it was, it was kind of simple as that. And then also the discipline aspect staying out of the penalty box. Cause they knew that that is what uh, the big problem was, you know, when the, when the other team's power play goes three for four, uh, you can kind of point to that as the issue and the Kraken essentially in the secondary mission said, look, we're just not even going to allow it to be an issue. We're not going to take any penalties. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, when it comes to, we, we know really what the weaknesses of this Kraken team are, right? Uh, they struggle defensively net front sometimes. Like that's, that's been a consistent issue throughout the course of the year. They've worked on it. They've made adjustments. They'll, they'll go through stretches where it's not a problem, but every so often, like in this game, like in that, you know, that the last 10 minutes of that first period against Vegas, it rears its ugly head. Uh, the other thing has been the discipline issue, right? Those are the two things that, that the Kraken have struggled with. And it shows that, you know, when you, when you work on these things, it's a continual effort, 
Like certainly something like discipline, like that's just something that you always have to be working at. It's something you always have to be reminding yourself, reminding your teammate, reminding that player playing for you. If you're the coaching staff, it's something that is a, it's a constant effort throughout the course of the season. Um, and that's just what, you know, what good teams do, right? They, they identify those weaknesses and they make sure that they stay on top of it through that 82 game grind. And, and the Kraken right now are doing a good job of doing that. They're, they're recognizing when it's starting to become an issue for them. Um, what, you know, in a perfect world, would you like to see it before it costs you a goal or two? Of course, but that's not how, you know, realistically things are going to play out for you. So just the fact that they are addressing it mid-game, they addressed it in that first intermission of the Vegas game, you address it in the second intermission of this game, and you're able to make the adjustments, clean it up, and then still have that firepower to come out and win the game from that point on is absolutely huge for this team. And that's the stuff that it's like, look, if you can keep this up over the course of the season, you will be a playoff team. And heck, you might even have home ice advantage in that first round of the playoffs. If you can sustain that, that level of play and that level of, um, I don't want to say like there's a better word or phrase than like self-policing, but if you if you stay on top of that stuff of recognizing when you're starting to fall into those bad habits and nipping them in the bud, like that's that's the stuff that the really good teams do over the course of a full season. And so far, the Kraken are doing it. Yeah, they are. And and especially impressive too when you have the whole leadership by committee thing. Yep. Uh, um, talking point kind of before the season, we really haven't brought it up since, but the fact that they chose to go without a captain, I think every that requires yeah. everybody to step up. Yeah. When you don't have a captain, it requires everyone to be accountable. And so far, they've done that. And I think all the players and the coaches too deserve credit for that. Yeah, no, they really do. Everybody, like I said, this team, it's a unit and coaching staff's right there with them. This is a team. Right. In every sense of the word, that's the sense you get from these guys. That's the sense you get hearing them talk about each other, the players. That's the sense you get from listening to Dave Haxtell talk about the players like this is a team. Everybody's on the same page They're They're not just working towards the same goal of winning, but they're working towards the same goal of how to win hockey games and that is so so huge and that's something that you know last year just given the nature of things between being an expansion club covid being around so you don't have you know a ton of time to work with each other before you're thrown into a season and then once you're in the season you're just you know going through that grind and you're never able to fully get on that same page um this shows a lot of strength from the leaders on the team show strength from the coaching staff, show strength of the front office too, right? Even through the whole Shane Wright thing, the front office has never wavered on this. They're messaging to us, right? Everything. They've had the plan. They're sticking to the plan. Like this is an organization that has done an excellent job in just a year and a half of building an incredible culture around this team and everybody is bought in and you're seeing that you know look they've got smart people in charge who are building this culture the right way and when everybody buys in that culture is a winning culture and you just love to see it yeah and that's something that you, you never really could question even from the start and with all the struggles mm -hmm. last season uh was that there was a good culture in place uh just the you know, the talent, the depth and the winning was all that was missing. And uh, Ron France did a great job to, to amass that uh, in the off season. And now it's all coming together. Yep. Yep. For sure. So um, love to see it. Love, love that. Uh, would love, like to see them, you know, maybe not need to, to clean things up during an intermission against the ducks, but you know, it's, it is what it is. And as long <laughs> as you get those two points there, it's all good. And then RJ, just because you opened the door, you talked about leadership, you talked about the on ice leadership group. Right. I'm going to bring up uh, Ryan mm -hmm. Clark had a nice article about Maddie Beneers, kind of introducing it yep. more so to, to a national audience over at ESPN. And uh, when re when perusing through that article, RJ, you know, you, you hear Yanni Gord talking about Maddie coming in late last year and how comfortable he was. how he'd, he'd chirp and how natural he seemed around everything. You hear some other people talking about Maddie Beneers. Tell me that article wasn't just laying the groundwork for him to be named the, the, the next captain of the Seattle Kraken at some point. I mean, it, it, you know, it certainly does do a bit of that. I, I think, uh, you know, none of us would really be surprised to see that happen at some point. Um, I, I knew you had to throw that in there, of course, with me bringing up the leadership situation. Dylan, we just made the Maddie for Calder shirts. We, we got 
give him a little bit, bit to breathe here before we go with the Maddie for captain shirts. I was going to say, just change a couple words around, you know, <laughs> and, and, and a couple letters in that last word and, and it's all good. Uh, I, I'm going to go for that. Maybe I'll do the whole like masking tape over over Calder. I'll put captain <laughs> yeah. on my my version of the shirt. We'll do that. Um all right. Uh, I think that we could we could end on that wonderful note that I'm sure the comment section will be very kind uh, to me about. Uh, and we can end this episode of The Deep Dive. Thank you, everybody, for, for joining us for this one. Another fantastic week of Kraken Hockey. Uh, another big shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for, for sponsoring this, as well as all the other stuff that we do here at ECH. It's wonderful. And shout out to the patrons over on Patreon. You know, we talked about that Vegas game. Had a ton of fun watching it with everybody as our live commentary game for the month. It was a, it was a blast as always and really really excited that got to ex- you know experience that historic moment in Kraken franchise history with all of you uh it was a lot of fun yeah we we picked some good games for those live commentary uh streams that's for sure yeah no no pressure for next month right <laughs> uh so uh fantastic just wanted to give them a quick shout out and yeah that's going to do it for this episode of the deep dive everybody uh, got the to get this game against the Kings tomorrow night. Another fun divisional matchup should be a good one. And then another fun week of Kraken hockey after that. Uh, thanks you all. Thank you all for joining us for this one. And we'll see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over on patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey. Especially our Terror of the Deep Tier patrons. Alex, Brian, Coop, Daryl, Duthin, Eli, Gary, Jared, Joey, Joni, Joshua, Hasue, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Maya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Scott, Sean, Sergeant Pickles, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all of this possible. We really appreciate your support.